Well, today is part one of Why Jesus Hates Religion, and we're going to get into it. If you enjoy the videos, video announcements, or the different sermon videos, we load all of those on our uh, Coastline YouTube page and our Coastline Vimeo page. So if you want to watch that again at home, feel free. I know there's a lot of meat into what Dinesh was saying, and that's what I want to talk about uh, today. Maybe starting week one with the stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin said it best. She is buying a stairway to heaven. Now let's talk about that. What does that mean? See, I, I think what Led Zeppelin was actually describing without knowing what they were describing or knowing what they were talking about or even intending is what Led Zeppelin just did is gave us probably one of the greatest definitions of religion that we'll ever know. See, what is religion? Religion is man's effort trying to build a stairway to heaven. Trying to build, trying to climb that ladder, trying to build that tower, building the stairway to heaven. That is the definition of religion. Man's effort, our uh, ceremonial duty, our rituals, our code, our, 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 the different commandments we try to live by, trying to attempt one day to achieve a point of enlightenment, achieve a point of divinity, achieve in a point of holiness, trying to build our way to God. That's religion, man's effort. And you know, as we talk about religion and we talk about why Jesus hates religion, let me just point out some very interesting facts today. Did you know right now in the world today, right now today, there are 28 different religious wars going on in the world today. 28 different wars created by religion happening today. If you just look through the history of the world, you see famous religious wars of the past, you know, all throughout history. Some of the most famous ones were the Crusades that began in 1095, lasting over 200 years. The Crusades where their mission was to destroy the infidels and reclaim the Holy Land, Jerusalem. They literally burned thousands of people to death, hacked them to pieces went to Jerusalem killing everybody on a mission to purify the holy city. Over one and a half million people died through the Crusades, all in the name of religion. 1618, we have the Thirty Years' War in Europe, another holy war, bloody conflicts all over Europe for 30 years, fights between the Protestants, between the Roman Catholic Empire, over seven and a half million people died, and finally in the end it was decided that everybody can have their own religion. More recently, 1984, Shiite fanatics killed and tortured Americans on a hijacked Kuwaiti airline, and that crazy thing about that was they said they did not only do it for the will of God, but they also did it for the pleasure of God. September 11, 2001, Al-Qaeda terrorists, radical fundamentalists, hijacked four commercial airlines, and we all know the story, two of them into the Twin Towers, one into the Pentagon, one missing its mark, falling in a field in Pennsylvania, and they did it in the name of God, for their holy war. See, when I look at this, it makes me realize why Jesus hates religion. See, what is it about religion that will make people want to do these crazy, horrible things for God? 
What is it about religion that has such a hold on people? What is it about religion that makes people do terrible things for the will of God, the name of God, even in their mind for the pleasure of God? Not just even the world religions, but look at the cult religions. you got cult leaders like Jim Jones, David Koresh, and even closer to home, we had the Heaven's Gate cult here in the Rancho Santa Fe area. What is it about this dark, negative side of religion that has this control over people, this manipulation, this, this thing in people where they want to do these terrible things? You know, we, we put out on Twitter to, for people to send us their their religious definitions on Twitter. And this is some of the uh, definitions that came back. Uh, outward forms lacking inward love, religion. Rules and not relationship. Keeping the masses under control. Joyless, life-draining, stuffy, boring, and judgmental was a definition of religion. Man's attempt to define God on his own terms. This is my favorite definition by far for those of you that that grew up in the uh, old school Pentecostal background. Ladies wearing uncomfortable dresses and pantyhose in the summer because that is what their church tells them to do. (laughs) The amazing thing is Jesus was never described as any of those things. Jesus was never attributed for any one of those things in his life. Jesus was known as love. He was known as a servant. He was known as a man that went around doing good. He was the one that said, Peter, put down your sword. He said, turn the other cheek. He healed the blind, raised the dead. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. I mean, the very definition of religion, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, the very definition begins with the words, the outward act or form. The outward act or form by which men indicate their recognition for the existence of a God or gods having the power or control over their destiny. How many of you realize Jesus did not die on a cross to establish an outward form? Jesus died on the cross to build a kingdom on the inside of us. See, Jesus' goal was not to build a military empire in an outward form, but his goal was to reign in the hearts and in the minds of men. See, the only Bible, the only religion the Bible even talks about is in James 1.27, that the Bible even speaks well of, is in James 1.27. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their trouble. And we're going to get into that on January 23rd when we have the uh, uh, choir from Haiti. And you don't want to miss that. That is going to be powerful. And like Lindsay said, make sure you bring some Kleenex that morning. Because when you hear the testimonies and stories of what these children in Haiti have gone through, it will break your heart. It will be a great day to bring friends to church. And see, James in 127, he actually has to qualify. He has to give a disclaimer about the word religion. Well, why did James give this disclaimer? Why did he say, listen, pure and undefiled religion? Why? Because James had the assumption that most religion was not pure. Most religion was defiled. And so James gives this disclaimer because there were some people who were perverting what was pure into a form of religion. And if you really understand the context of the passage that James is talking about, James is actually talking about controlling your tongue, controlling your words. 
Because there were all sorts of people going around talking about how holy they were, talking about how righteous they were, practicing these outward forms, these outward rituals, these outward ceremonies, trying to give this, this, this image that they were these holy, righteous uh, men and women of God. And James says, look, if you really want to have an outward form of piety, if you want an outward form to show how religious or an outward form to show how holy and righteous you are, it's not with your words, it's not the way you dress, it's not the, the, the length of your hair, it's not the makeup you wear. If you want an outward form of holiness, if you want an outward form of righteousness, it's not the way you look, it's helping widows and orphans. That is an outward form of righteousness. Get down and dirty. Well, let's talk today about the founder of false religion. Let's talk about where all of these world religions get their foundation. Where, who was the founder? Where did they all originate? Look at Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 10 and verse 1 with me as we begin to set the stage. Now, week 1 of this series, there's a lot of foundational meat in week 1 that we have to build on to get to the rest. So don't let me lose you as we're laying a foundation today for the next three weeks. Genesis 10 and verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Say that with me real quick. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They are the descendants of Noah. Those are Noah's three sons. After the flood, after the ark, those were the three sons that God gave the commandment to replenish and repopulate the entire earth. Scatter abroad and repopulate the earth. And if you keep reading, you go on to the story of Noah and you find out that after the ark, Noah began, started vineyards and had all sorts of stuff going on. And one day, Noah, I guess the vineyards were doing really, really well. And he had one, two, three, maybe eight glasses, too many. He got drunk and he passed out naked. Now, don't act like you've never done that before. Uh, hopefully not last week. But he had a little too much to drink. He passes out naked. And his son, Ham, comes in to expose his father's nakedness. Not, you know, he was looking at his father's, not sexually, but with the intent to slander and expose his father. When Shem and Japheth, they came in to cover their father's nakedness. They, they came in to cover their, you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. But Ham was trying to slander his father. Now, what is slander? Slander is stating something that is true or is a fact with the intent to hurt someone's integrity or character. Slander is telling the truth with the intent to hurt somebody's character or to hurt somebody's integrity. See, Ham didn't look at all the good that Noah did. Noah was a good man. The Bible called him righteous. He just had a lapse in judgment. And instead of covering his father's sin, covering his father's nakedness, Ham sought to expose his father, bringing a curse upon himself and all of his descendants. The Bible says Noah blessed Shem and Japheth and cursed Ham. And understand, as followers of Christ, it is not our job to slander one another. Even if you think what you're saying is right and true, if you're saying it for the reason to destroy somebody's character or to destroy their integrity, doesn't matter how true you think you are. It is not your job to slander people as Christians. Amen? Got a little quiet. Genesis chapter 10, look at verse 6 through 9 with me. The sons of Ham were cursed. Now remember, Ham was cursed. Yes, Ham was cursed. 
Noah cursed Ham because Ham sought to slander and expose his father. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, Put, Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sapta, Ramah, Sebdekagah, whatever the name is. Don't name your child that. And the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan, and Cush begat Nimrod. Now remember, Cush was the son of Ham. Nimrod was the son of Cush. Ham was Nimrod's grandfather. Ham was cursed. Ham's descendants were cursed. Nimrod was the grandson of Ham who sought to slander and expose his father. I just want you to understand that foundational truth as we move into this next part. Now look at verse 8 again with me. Cush begat Nimrod, who began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter or conqueror before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. So Nimrod was the father of Shinar, the land of Shinar, the territory, the territory of Shinar, which held the cities Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna. Now, Shinar is modern-day Iraq. You need to understand that. Nimrod was the father of modern-day Iraq, which housed the city of Babel, which housed the empire of Babylon. Nimrod started it all. It goes back to Nimrod, who is the father of modern-day Iraq. The Bible said he was a mighty hunter. He was a mighty conqueror before the Lord. Now, what you need to understand about that word before, in the original Hebrew text, that word before was not a positive word. It was a negative word. He wasn't saying Nimrod stood before the Lord like the angels stood before the Lord. He said he was before the Lord. He was against the Lord. He, he was against God. Nimrod stood against the Lord as a mighty conqueror, as a mighty hunter. This was negative language. You understand where I'm going? He was against God. He was rallying people to himself, not rallying them to God. Nimrod was the father of modern day Iraq. He was the father of the Syrian nation that caused problems and problems and problems for the Israelites. He he founded the city of Babel, which eventually led to the empire of Babylon. And Babel, in the original meaning, meant gateway to God, or as Led Zeppelin put it, stairway to heaven. That was Babel. Nimrod was the founder of Babel. Nimrod was the founder of their so-called gateway to God. Now, I know this is a lot of historical information, but I am taking you somewhere, so just be patient with me. Look at Genesis chapter 11. Go back to verse 1 with me. Genesis 11, verse 1. Let's read a little bit about the life of Nimrod. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, that's modern-day Iraq, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the entire earth. He said, let us make a name for ourselves. He didn't say, let us make a name for the Lord. Let us make a name for God. He said, let us make a name for ourselves. And that's what religion seeks to do. See, religion is about making a name for the religion or making a name for yourself, not about making a name for the Lord. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. 
And what happened with Babel is eventually the name changed slightly uh, in the Hebrew, a, a slight phonetic meaning to the word Belel, which means to jumble or to confuse. And we all know the story of how God came down and confused the language because nothing they would try to do because they were unified would be impossible for them. So God confused everything. So Nimrod, he goes to Shinar, modern-day Iraq. He says to the people, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Now, what does bricks and mortar mean to us today? How does that relate to us? How is that relevant in our life today? Well, let me explain what bricks and mortar were symbolic of. Bricks and mortar were man-made objects. Men made bricks. God made Stone. Remember in the temple when God said, uh, build a temple for me, and he told the children of Israel, don't use bricks, don't use mortar, use stones that have never been cut by men. Because God didn't want anything man-made in his temple. Men make bricks. And see, that's what religion is. It's man-made attempts to God. God said, I want you to use a living stone. I want you to use stone. And men said, we'll use brick and we'll use mortar. And another word for, for asphalt in the construction world is slime. They had mortar for asphalt, the Bible, or they had asphalt for mortar, the Bible says. Well, how many know anytime men get involved, there's going to be some slime in it? That's just the reality of it. And here they are with these bricks and mortar building a tower, the Tower of Babel or this ziggurat, which it was known in that day and age. And these ziggurats, they were used for pagan rituals. They were used for pagan worship. They were used for astrology. And they were even used for human sacrifice. See, they were building it with bricks, man-made bricks. And God, his temple was only built with stone. Stone is born of God. Brick is born of man. Jesus is the cornerstone. The Bible says we are living stones. Do you understand the difference between stone and brick? Brick is man-made attempts. Stone was cut by God. Back to Nimrod. Nimrod says, okay, let's do this. Let's build a city with a bridge to God, a stairway to heaven, a tower into the heavens. Nimrod wanted to make a name for himself as opposed to making a name for God. He said, let's gather together the people so that we can make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad. How many realize this was the exact opposite of what God just got done speaking to Noah? God just got done telling Noah, I want to scatter you abroad. I want you to go to the four corners of the earth and populate this planet and build a name for me. And now here Nimrod is just a chapter later trying to pull everyone together, lest we be scattered. Let's build a name for ourselves. See, man-made will always oppose the purposes of God. See, men are trying to protect themselves. See, Nimrod, man, tries to protect ourselves, tries to protect our culture, tries to protect our way of life. And that's what religion is all about. Religion, we, we create religion. Why? To protect our culture, to protect our way of life, to protect our ceremonies, our rituals, our personal preferences about the way things should be. We build religion to protect all of that. See, what we do is, is, is like Nimrod, we say, okay, we're going to build this religion. We're going to build this way of life. And we have to add God. Why? Because you have to have a fear factor involved. you got to create a scary God that people will fear 
so that you can manipulate the masses and you can control the masses. So they add God to it. Then they get this prideful heart lifted up. They try to build this bridge, this stairway to heaven, this religion. And they get God involved because you got to have the higher power, like I said, to build this Babel, this gateway to God. But let me ask you this morning, what traditions are we trying to protect? What personal preferences are we fighting for? See, one of the things I've always grown up believing is have a lot of preferences you don't even bother fighting for and have a couple convictions you'll die for. Because how many know a lot of churches spend a lot of time fighting over personal preferences and not defending convictions? What personal preferences are you trying to mix God with to, to develop your own form of Christian religion and say, this is the only way to worship God. This is the only way to do church. This is how you're supposed to dress when you go to church. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. What preferences are you fighting to protect? Let me give you a couple differences between religion and relationship today. Religion is more interested in trying to keep people, whereas relationships are trying to reach people. Why? Because when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you love Jesus Christ, and you think about the pain and the anguish and, and the experience of what he went through on the cross when he suffered and died and crucified for you, then out of that relationship with him, your passion, your motivation in life is to share that good news with people that don't know it. But if your motivation is religion and protecting your way of life and protecting your culture and protecting your personal preferences, then your motivation as a church is let's just keep status quo. Let's just keep everyone happy. Let's just keep, you know, let's, let's don't move the organ from one side of the stage to the other because we may offend sister so-and-so. You think I'm joking. I've been in church a long time. You would be amazed. Even just... It, it, one day I may publish a book on my first 10 weeks here and just let you know some of the dumb things people got offended about the first 10 weeks I was here. I'm not going to say it now because I don't want you to get offended again. What are you trying to protect? See, religion says, what is the church doing for me? Relationship says, what am I doing for the church? What am I doing for the bride of Christ? Jesus, when he left, he said, take care of my bride, the church. What am I doing for the bride of Christ? What am I doing for the church? What am I doing to be the church as opposed to a lot of people saying, what's the church doing for me? When's the church going to feed me? When's the church? You know, listen, you know, if, if you're not a baby, you don't need to be spoon fed. You can feed yourself. God's given you a book. Go home and eat if you're hungry. The question is not, what is the church doing for me? The question is, what am I doing for the church? We're talking about the differences between religion and relationship. See, religion is always the outward expression, the outward ceremonies, the outward rituals, trying to build our stairway to heaven, trying to make people live according to our rituals, trying to make people live according to our ceremonies. Listen, if you have any open mind at all, and you begin to study the religions of the world, the six major ones in particular, Here's what you're going to find. Out of all the religions of the world, you're going to see an outwardness trying to achieve, even with Christian religion. And you've got to understand, there's a difference between following Jesus and Christian religion. 
There are a lot of people that have taken this pure thing called following Christ and formed a Christian religion out of it and trying to impose this religious order on people in the church. And there is only one place where you will find a relationship and real truth, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why some of the greatest Christians you'll meet were people who started out as atheists. And as they studied world religions and as they tried to disprove Christianity, they found Christ. They found that Jesus was so far and above and beyond. that See, you have to lose your religion if you want to gain Christ. We're going to be talking about that the next couple of weeks and how Christian religion repels people. But you're going to have to lose your religion if you truly want to gain a relationship with Christ. Jesus came for us to have relationship with God. He did not come to establish religion. He did not come to establish a government. He did not come to even establish Christianity. How many understand Christianity is the name we put on it? See, Jesus came for us to know him and know his father. Christianity is the name we put on it. And let's be real honest today. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that I don't want to associate with. Because they don't look or act anything like a follower of Jesus looks or act. Let's be honest. There are people who are Christians today who are some of the meanest people you have ever met. See, we have the reputation for shooting our wounded for a reason. We didn't get that reputation accidentally. There's enough truth there that we have done foolishly in the church to earn that reputation. So what we need is people to get back to the point where they are passionately and wholeheartedly in love with Jesus and following Jesus, not practicing a form of Christian religion. See, the other question. You get all the time when we talk about world religion is people ask me, well, how can all those people be wrong? There's millions of people that follow Islam. There's millions of people that follow Buddha. How can they all be wrong? Well, just look at the founder. Look at who founded it. Forget how many millions of people believe it. Look at Buddha. Look at Muhammad. Look at Confucius. Look at Jesus. Who was the leader? Because if the foundation is faulty then the house is going to come down. It's not about all those people being wrong. It's about who are you following? Is the, is the founder right? See, Jesus was the only one who claimed to be God. He said, I am the only way to God. Jesus said, I am the gateway. He said, I'm not a stairway to heaven. I am a stairway from heaven. All who become for me are robbers and thieves just like Nimrod. See, if you have a man-made gateway for self-preservation, trying to preserve your culture, then of course you're going to have to add God to the equation and turn it into some form of religion. Because religion is when man adds God to the equation to promote their own political system, their own way of life, their own social system, their own national system, their own economic system. And let me say quickly, just for my American Christians that are here this morning, followers of Jesus are not Western. Our faith was not born in America, but was born in Jerusalem. See, we should not assume that as Americans, we have the handle on Christianity. You know, right now in Seoul, Korea, there's one church, Dr. Yonggi Cho, one church that has 1.3 million members in one church. 
How many know we don't have the handle on Christianity in America? In China right now, there are over 150 million on-fire, born-again believers in China. Underground, on-fire, born-again believers. They say in the next 10 years, there will be over 300 million underground, on-fire, born-again believers in China. That's more than the entire population of the United States in one country. See, if you want to see a move of God, if you want to find real followers of Jesus, look at Iraq, look at Iran. Right now, there is a massive move of God going on right now amongst college students in Tehran, right in the middle of Iran. See, followers of Jesus are everywhere. Because it's not about religion, it is about relationship. It is not man-made, but it is God-born. Jesus said, I will build my kingdom, not of this earth, but a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that is unstoppable. You can't stop the church. So let's ask ourselves, where did all of these world religions come from? Well, easy, you can make one up yourself. You can go out today and start your own religion if you want to. L. Ron Hubbard said the quickest way to become a millionaire is to start your own religion, and he created Scientology out of a science fiction novel. You can start your own religion. So let's just all say, okay, look, all religions are right. Let's just say all religions are right. Everyone's at peace. Everyone's in harmony. All religions lead to heaven. We'll all go to heaven eventually. So let's set up our own religion today, and we'll call it Patrickism. Patrick will be our leader right here, uh, uh, and and, and we're going to start a religion called Patrickism. And let's say we get over 2 million followers to follow Patrickism. I don't care how many followers you get. If the founder is wrong, the religion is wrong. Stop saying, well, how can all of those millions of people be wrong? Just look at the founder. I mean, just compare Jesus to other religious leaders. Look at the life of Jesus, a servant, a a doing good, love. Look at the life of Muhammad. Now, I know it's not politically correct to to say because we may offend somebody, but do you know Muhammad in one night personally decapitated over 400 people? In one night. That's the founder. Had over 14 wives. Married a little six-year-old girl named Aisha. But out of nobility, didn't consummate the marriage till she was eight. Now, I don't know about California, but growing up in Texas, when a grown man has sex with an eight-year-old girl, we have a word for that. That's the founder. Look at the founders of the real. Don't look at how many millions believe it. Look at the founder. If the founder is wrong, then all the millions of people are wrong. And the greatest enemy of Jesus was the religious people. Jesus said, Matthew 23 and verse 15, fighting with the Pharisees again, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte or convert, and when he is one, you make him twice the son of hell as yourself. See, I'm not trying to offend anyone today, but nobody in our country is speaking up for Jesus anymore, or very few people are. See, after 9-11 with this whole interfaith movement, let's all work together and all roads lead to heaven, we invited God back into our country after 9-11, but the only problem was we didn't invite Jesus back. So where did it all come from? Well, look at Nimrod in Genesis 11. Nimrod, the, the father of all this false religion. 
See, what was the fruit of this self-preservation? What was the fruit of this gateway to God, stairway to heaven? It was renamed confusion. All man-made gateways to God, all man-made religions will eventually bring confusion, which brings strife, which brings war. And currently there's 28 religious wars going on. So God came down from heaven, he confused their language, and then all of these different people groups, they took what Nimrod had taught them, they took this self-preservation, they took this man-made form of religion, they went back to their own lands, to their own places, and their own language, and they began to develop all these different world religions. Why? Because we got to protect our way of life. We got to conquer. We got to find, you know, some form of God to add the equation so we can preserve our life. All these different tribes, all these different religions. See, what you have to realize this morning is God created us for worship. As human beings, God created us for worship. God created us for trust. And Satan takes this natural desire for us to worship God, and he twists it. He perverts it with religion. What is the good news? Is there any good news today? No, that's it. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. No, I'm kidding. Good news today. Jesus loves everybody in the world. Jesus loves all people. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter who follows him or who doesn't follow him. Jesus loves everybody. Everyone, And he sent the Holy Spirit to convince them, to convict them of their need for him. He's not convincing people of their need for Christianity. He's convincing them of their need for him. He is convincing them to surrender their life to him, to have a relationship with God, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, I don't care if people call me a Christian. In some circles, I prefer they don't call me a Christian. But the good news is there is a gateway to God. There is a stairway not to heaven, but from heaven. And it wasn't built with man-made bricks or mortar, but it was built with the living stone, built with Jesus Christ. And he died for your sins. He rose again, and he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You know, when you study out Acts chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 11, you find out that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Babel was man's attempt to God. Pentecost was God coming down to us. God said, look, you can't ascend to me. You need my help. I love you. I'll come down to you. What happened at Babel? God confused all the earthly languages. There was instant confusion. There was all these languages that that were developed. On the day of Pentecost, God sent a heavenly language. God sent tongues to bring peace and unity. People from all different countries and all different backgrounds and all different languages began to hear tongues in their own language. God reversed the curse of Genesis 11 and Acts chapter 2. Tower of Babel created confusion, but Acts 2 brought peace, brought order, brought unity. Peter said, listen, we're not drunk like you think we are. We're just filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter said, you don't need a tower. You don't need, you don't need bricks and mortar. The building is your body. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, Babel, they all came together to protect their names so that they wouldn't be scattered. But Pentecost, God scattered everybody to spread his love, to spread his message, to spread Jesus Christ. See, what you have to understand about religion is religion wants you to conform. Jesus wants you to be yourself. Jesus wants you to be who he created you to be in Christ. 
I love the diversity in the body of Christ. I love all the different followers. You can take me to the boring church down the street with the Gothic building and the organ, and I love it. Then you take me across the tracks to that wild Pentecostal assembly with people rolling up and down. It doesn't matter. I just love being around followers of Jesus. I don't mind the diversity. I'm not going to say I'm right and they're wrong. See, we're not trying to be Americans or Asians or Africans. We're just trying to follow Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that when you are a true follower of Jesus, it is not your job to tell everyone else they're wrong. Did you catch me? Some of you need to hear that. When you're a true follower of Jesus, it is not your job to tell everybody else they're wrong. See, religion tells people they are wrong and they need to conform. And it's man's manipulation for our own selfish purposes. We're using it to control. There's a great movie. It may be violent for some of you, so don't hang me for saying it. But I watched The Book of Eli, and it was a great movie. And if you watch this movie, the bad guy in the movie, and I'm not recommending to watch it because it is violent, but the bad guy in this movie, his whole mission throughout the entire movie was to get a copy of the last Bible on earth. Why? Because he knew if he had the Bible, he knew if he had God's word, he could use it to control and manipulate the masses. Because we will all, we all desire to worship something. You're going to worship yourself. You're going to worship your job. You're going to worship your family. You're going to worship false gods. You're going to worship false You're going to worship something. That's why we desperately need Jesus. See, on the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't come out and say, listen, I'm right and you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong. No, what did he do? He just showed up filled with the Holy Spirit. The people saw the power of God and the people went to Peter and said, what must we do? See, it had nothing to do with Peter saying, you're wrong and you're wrong and you got to know. The people said, what must we do? When you live the life of a true follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to tell people they're wrong. They'll come to you and say, what do I have to do to be like you? What do I have to do to have whatever you have in your life? You're living something that I don't have. There is something inside of you that I don't have. What do I have to do to be like you? That's the goal. See, a true follower of Jesus will have people around him desiring to be like them. See, if you don't have people that want to be like you, then you better figure out what's inside of you. You better figure out if it's a man-made religion, because I've heard some Christians say, come to Jesus, you'll be just like me. And people look at him and say, man, if Jesus did that to you, keep him away from me. No, Jesus didn't do it to him. Religion did it to him. Religion made him look that way. Religion made him act that way. Religion makes you ugly. Following Jesus makes people want to be like you. Following Jesus does something inside of you. See, Jesus is the only leader whose grave is empty. I'll close with this. He's the only leader that never sinned. If I can have the team come. He's the only leader that his sin was never brought into question. Jesus performed miracles, miracles that were witnessed and testified even by his enemies. Even his enemies saw the miracles. And if you truly study the life of Jesus, then you have to conclude that he was either the Lord, he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. And let's be honest, there are only two types of people in the world today. There's not Muslim and Buddhists and Christians and Jews. There's only two types of people in the world today. People that follow Jesus and people who do not follow Jesus. That's it. 
Forget about all these religions. All these religions are just man-made forms trying to achieve this or trying to achieve that. You saw the video with Dinesh. Every religion is pretty much similar. It's our effort trying to reach God, but we can't do it. Even Christian religion will never get you to God. You could show up to church. You can be an usher. You can work in the church. You can raise your hands when they tell you to raise your hands. You can do every Christian ritual you can think of. It still is not going to bring you to God. You can't ever reach God. God came down to you. You'll never build the stairway to heaven, but God did build a stairway from heaven. And his name was Jesus Christ. And if you'll simply say yes to following Jesus, don't follow religion. Religion creates confusion. Religion creates war wars. Follow Jesus. Get Jesus inside of you. Get Jesus in your heart. That's the only one that matters. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close today. Before I go any further, I just want to ask if there's anybody in the room that needs to make a decision today to follow Jesus Christ. You're not following him. Maybe you followed religion, but maybe you've you've tried to turn the Bible into a religion and you've said, okay, if I can do this and if I can keep this command, then one day God will love me, one day God will accept me. No. You'll never keep enough commands to earn your way to God. The only way for you to be a real Christian, for you to be a follower of Jesus is to say yes to him. Forget about Christian religion. Forget about your own attempt to God. God came down to you, and that's all that matters today, is God came down to you so that you could go back with him. You need to say yes to Jesus Christ today. You know who you are. Your heart right now is burning. You just feel this burning inside of you right now. You feel this longing to know Jesus right now. You feel this desire inside of you right now for Jesus like you've never felt it. If that's you with every eye closed and nobody looking around, I want to pray with you today. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to say yes to Jesus today. You want to receive the gift that he gave you. Would you, with no one looking around, would you just slip up your hand quickly so I can see you? Raise your hand with nobody looking around so I can pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Thank you. Those of you that raised your hand are making a very powerful decision today to follow Jesus. See, the next step in Acts chapter 2 is the people said, what must we do? Well, let me tell you, this is all you have to do. You have to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says the way you say yes to him is you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. When you raised your hand, you showed us that you believed in your heart. And now I want to lead you in a simple prayer of confessing with your mouth. So everybody in the building, please Repeat this prayer after me to encourage those that raised their hand today to follow Jesus. Say, Dear God, I make a decision today to follow you. Forgive me for all the sin. 
for all my own efforts, trying to get to you when you came to me. So this morning, I receive you, and I choose to follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stand up. We're going to sing one verse in closing. I just want you to have a moment of worship before we leave here.